Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soul Fire production. Episode number 53. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. I actually re-recorded this episode intro last week because over the past few weeks, we've had some really difficult, heavy things happening here in the United States. Things that have been weighing really heavy on my heart and probably on many of your hearts. The mass shootings over consecutive weeks at the end of May, one in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and the other in an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, have left me heartbroken, angry, and deeply, deeply sad. I've honestly been questioning if the work I'm doing in the world even matters, if going to the grocery store or going to school means you're not safe and you could die. I've really had to sit with and grapple with trying to stay in the belief that teaching people how to take back control of their health is still important, even in a world that seems to be spinning out of control. And so I've been digging deep, really, really deep over the past week to stay in a place of hope and in a place of love. And I think this hope and love will keep me working hard to help as many people as I can using the talents and gifts I have. I hope that each of you will stay hopeful too. I'm sending each of you so much love. And if you need some support, please reach out and connect to others. We all need each other. And if you want to connect to me over Instagram, I'd be honored to support you. So today we start a fresh month, June, the start of summer, and here on the podcast, the start of a new intention. This month, we'll be talking about the healing power of integrative medicine. And to kick it off, let's dive into sound as medicine with my guest, Dr. Kulreeth Chaudhary. Dr. Chaudhary is a pioneer in integrative medicine. She's both a neurologist and an Ayurvedic practitioner who developed a powerful system to manage chronic neurological disorders, including multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and migraine headaches by incorporating fundamental changes in diet, behavior, and stress, in addition to the standard Western allopathic approach to these issues. This program has been so incredibly successful that Dr. Chaudhary uses it not just for neurological issues, but also for a wider range of health concerns, including weight issues and chronic disease. Kulreeth is also the author of two books, The Prime and her latest book, Sound Medicine, How to Use the Ancient Science of Sound to Heal the Body and Mind, and has appeared multiple times on The Dr. Oz Show and Home and Family. Dr. Chaudhary is also a neuroscientist and has participated in over 20 clinical research studies in the areas of multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, and diabetic peripheral neuropathy, and more recently in Siddha medicine and sound medicine. In our conversation, Kulreeth and I talk about her journey from neurology to Ayurveda and how she combines them in her medical practice. We also dive deep into the science of sound and how it affects the body and the history of sound as medicine 
and its therapeutic applications in both Western medicine and ancient healing systems. Dr. Chaudhary also explains the important difference between affirmations and mantras from a neurological and brain perspective, which is absolutely fascinating. And she shares four steps to get started using sound as medicine in our everyday lives. And make sure that you stay until the end of the episode because she also shares a powerful chakra mantra meditation that she says has transformed not only her life, but also the lives of hundreds of her patients. You know, I read Clarice's first book, The Prime, as soon as it was published back in 2016, when I was just at the beginning of my transition from emergency medicine to Ayurveda, and I have followed her work ever since. And honestly, I have been fangirling her for so many years. And so I was so incredibly excited to finally talk to her and meet her virtually, of course. And she is as brilliant and as beautiful as I had imagined. I am so honored to share this conversation with you with Dr. Kulreath Chaudhary about the integrative practice of using sound as medicine. Kulreath, it is so lovely to meet you and to have you on my podcast. I've been reading your work for many years and I'm, I'm sort of fangirling you for, I have been for a while. So I'm so excited <laughs> to finally meet you and talk to you. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. And what a sweet introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've read your book and I haven't finished Sound Medicine, your newest book, but I have read The Prime. It's actually sitting right here on my desk. And <laughs> conveniently um, located right there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I know a little bit about your healing journey, but I would love for you to share, you know, a little bit about your journey from being a Western trained neurologist and a neuroscientist who's done so many studies in so many different areas of brain health and brain disease, and then also becoming an Ayurvedic practitioner. So, like, how did that happen? Well, it's still happening. Yes, it is. <laughs> right? Yes. The journey is still continuing. The healing journey is certainly continuing. But, you know, it really first began with a lot of the influences that my mom brought just with us growing up, which, of course, at the time, we didn't know that they were Ayurvedic practices. We just knew, like, if we got sick, we didn't get antibiotics. She would pull out, like, the turmeric and honey, right? And we'd be eating that for viral infections. And she introduced us to meditation. And, you know, there was a huge focus in our household on food and the impact of food on overall health. And so these were just fundamental practices um, of life, really. And then when I got to medical school, of course, you know, I got smarter and realized that these were outdated village practices <laughs> <laughs> that had nothing to do with modern science and you know, I was so excited about this whole new world I was being introduced to because it seemed so shiny, right? Like it had names for everything. And we were looking at everything on not just a microscopic level, but even on an atomic level. And so I was so kind of enamored by modern medicine and had thrown out quite a bit, still was meditating, but did not hold on to some of those fundamental teachings as dearly. And then, of course, life has a way of bringing you back, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> back to the truth and, and serving you a good dose of humility. And so it was after I finished my neurology residency, 
Um, and I was a practicing neurologist at Scripps Memorial Hospital. I felt like, wow, you know, everything in my career had just come together so perfectly. And um, right when I felt like everything had come together, I developed these intractable migraine headaches. And I almost feel like if I had developed anything other than a neurological condition, <laughs> right, it wouldn't have hit my ego like as hard. But here it was. I was a neurologist. You know, I had gone to a, a great, um, you know, neurology residency. And so I knew the answers for this. And so as soon as I started prescribing the medications that I was giving to my patients, to myself, it was just a giant wake up call. The side effects were so awful. I couldn't figure out if the headaches were worse, you know, than the side effects. Mm -hmm. And so it was at that time that I actually turned back to my mom and I was like, who are those weird doctors you used to take us to when we were young? And I was just shocked, which, you know, you may relate to this when you have your first Ayurvedic consultation as an adult, as a child, I didn't really follow. Um, but he was just talking about my gut the entire time. And, you know, the accumulation of ama, you know, toxins in the gut from the years of hard work to become a physician. And my first response was really one of total disbelief. I didn't think this guy had any idea what he was talking about, um, but I didn't have anywhere else to go. And so I followed his recommendations, which were all gut driven, you know, and in three months I didn't have headaches. I had lost, you know, 10 pounds that I didn't even know I had gained. Mm -hmm. Um, but the most important thing is I felt like I was getting myself back. Like my energy was coming back. My creativity was coming back. My personality before kind of all of those grueling years, like that lighter personality, that enthusiastic personality, the, the, you know, the, the, the woman who was like excited about exploring life, she came back. And that to me was the, was the biggest thing. And so that kind of just launched me, that personal experience launched me down the path of integrating Ayurveda into my neurology practice. And then of course it went from neurology to your, your patients start bringing in everybody, right? Like they're like, well, can right. you see my sister who has arthritis? What about, you know, my husband who has IBS. And so pretty soon it was just like a full blown Ayurvedic practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, thank you for sharing that, you know, as I'm listening to you recounting it, even though I've read it, I mean, there are so many similarities between my story and your story. Um, sort of, you know, going to medical training, being like, oh, that stuff that we did at home right. <laughs> growing up, it's all great. <laughs> it was, you know, and then coming back to it when, you know, in our training, feeling like we're having all these symptoms and then saying, okay, mom, dad, help me. I, I, what did we do when I was a kid that kept me so healthy and what's happening now? And then that inquiry that leads to, sort of changing the course of our careers, right? And so it feels like we're kindred spirits because we both have had very similar paths. So um, it, it's quite incredible. And so, you know, you were talking about the fact that now, you know, you, you were, a, you're a neurologist and then all of a sudden you have all these different patients coming in with all kinds of things yeah. and not just <laughs> neurological issues. And, you know, you're really considered, you know, sort of a pioneer in this area of integrating Ayurveda into a Western medical practice. You know, you were one of the first people to do that. And so it just means I'm getting old. A pioneer no, just means you're, no, no, you're, no. you're just I getting think old you, now. <laughs> no, I think you were just ahead of your time and really thinking about how does this fit together? And, you know, in your first book, as I mentioned, Prime, you know, you wrote about this very powerful system that you developed with your neurology patients to manage these chronic neurological 
disorders. And then you saw all these other benefits that they started to have. I would love to talk all about that because it's so interesting. But what I really want to talk about is your work in sound medicine and sort of um, the research you've been doing, the work that you've been doing in this idea of how sound is medicine, how you can use it to heal yourself. You know, let's start at the basics. Like what is the science of sound? So like, what is sound and how does it get translated into these neurological impulses in the body and the brain, you know, through the, the mouth, the ears, the brain, maybe you could explain, you know, first what sound and then how does it get translated? Sure. I think I am only recently beginning to understand sound. And that's because you have to have a pretty strong understanding of quantum physics to really understand sound. Before you understand sound, or before you go into the science of sound, you might think, well, sound is whatever I hear, right? Sound is whatever my ears capture, the waves that my ears can capture, that they then can be translated into signals by the brain that are auditory, meaning we can translate them into an experience of that we call sound in our brains. But that would mean that what your dog can hear that you can't hear isn't sound, right? Right. And that there's animals that both create sound that we can't hear and receive sound that we can't hear. So you have to start expanding your understanding of sound so that it includes a deeper appreciation of like the fundamental reality of life, which is vibratory, that even in many spiritual traditions, like even within Christianity, they talk about how first there was the word, right? And so the word represents that sound. And so sound is the vibratory nature of life, meaning that before we are solid, before our entire world is solid, it exists on a frequency level. Okay, frequencies of vibration. And some of those vibrations we can hear, and some of those we cannot. But all of that is really sound. And, you know, when people struggle with that concept, I I use kind of the sound that we are hearing inside of our mind as an example. Mm -hmm. That that's certainly sound. You can hear it. And, you know, from modern psychology and even modern neuropsychology. We know that the dialogues we create with our mind on a subconscious level are some of the strongest influences on our behavior as well as our overall health. So that sound is created inside of your mind, but I can't hear what you're thinking, right? But it still has a vibratory frequency. Sometimes you can feel what somebody else is thinking, Mm -hmm. right? So it's it's exerting an influence. And we can even capture the electromagnetic fields created by those thoughts in an EEG, right? So we, we, we know there's evidence of it being emitted outward. And so when we start to look at sound as something so fundamental to the nature of life, then you start to realize like, wait, hold on, there's technologies that can come from an understanding that life is vibratory that could then influence those vibrations, right? waves influence waves. Mm -hmm. And it's this fundamental understanding of the technology of sound that, you know, I studied when I was in South India, looking at the Siddha medicine records. And I was just astonished because when you first start looking at those records, they seem very poetic. They're, I mean, they're beautifully, beautifully written. Um, But then you start to realize they're actually recounting quantum biology. So the biology of quantum physics 
poetically, you know, so it's like, whoa, talk about, you know, people who had full use of left and right brain. And from their perspective, they were able through their consciousness and through their deep meditations, they were able to connect to the vibratory code of life and then pull the frequencies that had specific healing effects. And that's where the tradition of mantra came from. They are really just sounds. They don't have actually an inherent meaning, even though we've given some of the meaning when we go down to the bija mantras, which mm -hmm. are the seed sounds, they have no meaning. They're just pure frequencies that have almost, you know, I look at it as it's, it's almost like nature's prescription, right? If nature is your doctor, this would be nature's prescription for if this is what's going on in your body, use this sound. If this is what's going on in your life, use that sound. And to me, it was just astonishing when I saw the overlap between what the quantum physicists of the last century had discovered and then the vocabulary that, you know, the Siddhas were using and to realize that they had figured this out on a quantum level. And so the sound practices were some of the strongest medical technologies that were being used at that time. And unfortunately, they're really missing even from Ayurveda. In, in, in modern Ayurveda, they're completely missing. And, and they're really the foundations of, of, modern, of all Ayurveda. Right. Okay. So there's so much to unpack there. Let's, let's back up for a second. So <laughs> I, I think what you're saying is that because everything in life is vibration, has a vibratory frequency, which is energy, right? Yes. Am I wrong? I mean, and that, you know, I mean, in Ayurveda, we say that humans, all beings are made of the same five elements that are all energy, essentially, mm -hmm. right? So I think what you're saying is that because we are all energy and sound is energy frequency, that's how it can affect us because it's waves affecting waves. Yes. And it's, it's not just because everything is energy, right? But there's denser forms of energy. So as we get to, and we know this, as we talk about the five elements, when we go from ether to earth, that they're all different forms of energy, but they're getting denser and denser and denser and denser. Right. And so then by the time we get to this physical body, it's the densest form right. of energy. But what, what is so unique about sound is it's the subtlest form of energy. So it's associated with the element of ether and it's associated with of the five koshas or the five um sheaths it's associated yeah. with the anandamaya kosha which is the bliss body mm -hmm. so sound frequency sound vibration is associated with the subtlest of all energies and what we know is that when you when you attend to disease or you attend to thought on its subtlest levels, mm -hmm. that is where you have the greatest influence on the grossest level. Right. And so I look at it as if there's anything that you want to change, not that you don't have to look at food, right. And not that you shouldn't be looking at which supplements to use. And you, you know, you should definitely be looking at what are the mental patterns. All of that is very important work. But when you also incorporate the use of sound, you're working from the subtlest all the way to the grossest. And without the integration of sound in Ayurveda, you're missing the most powerful healing modality. Right. 
And so this goes back to this idea that the energy body is the blueprint for the human body. So you're going from that subtle to the gross is what you're saying. And so when you work at this subtle level, at the energy body level, that has the potential to create great transformation in the, the gross body, which is why, you know, things like acupuncture and energy medicine and all these healing modalities that are working on that subtle energy, you know, the prana level, that's why they work so well. Absolutely. But even when we, so even when we look deeper at that, like when we look at the pranic sheet, which is the second innermost covering sound is even more fundamental Mm. to that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I embrace all of this. I say, you know, you, I would not recommend like only using sound techniques without changing your diet and doing the Mm -hmm. other stuff. I wouldn't recommend that because those shifts would be so massive. And then like the densest parts of you would have this kind of accumulated explosion of energy to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so I recommend that you work on all levels. I like using the analogy of like different kinds of bonds. Like when you break um, chemical bonds, like look at gunpowder, it releases a certain amount of energy, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you get into like breaking nuclear bonds, right, which mm-hmm. is the release of nuclear energy, look how massive the explosion is. So sound, you could say, is kind of like breaking up the nuclear bonds. It's re- sound can rearrange your energy structure at its subtlest levels, but mm-hmm. you don't want to release such a massive amount of energy without also working like on the body and on the mind. So it's really bringing like the holistic part of medicine to the deepest part of your whole, right? Which is like the most fundamental part. And so I I just feel that in, in Ayurveda, we do such a great job of diagnosing the doshas, giving the recommendations for the food, giving the recommendations for the herbs, you know, but to not include a sound practice is really, it's depriving people of one of the most powerful tools that they could use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's mind blowing to think about it that way. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way. So thank you for that. There's also this incredible connection between memory. And so the mind, right. And what we think, what we remember and sound, right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What's that? connection? Like how does that influence our physiology? I mean, cause it can happen from the time that you're in utero, right? It, it does happen from the time mm-hmm. that you're in utero. Yeah. And you know, this is why it's so important for mothers and fathers to be speaking and singing to the baby, because that's when all those neural networks are being formed and a relationship is already being formed mm-hmm. between the baby and the parents through sound. But sound, the reason why it's so important to the mind and memory and why it has such a strong impact on mind and memory is where sound comes from is even more fundamental, or you can say transcends the mind. And so it comes from a level of consciousness that is even beyond the mind, which is sometimes hard for us to comprehend because so many of us identify with just the mind. We identify so much with just our thoughts that we don't necessarily think that we're anything beyond our thoughts, but there's levels of consciousness that are even subtler than our thoughts. And sound really communicates to that subtler level. And so when you use sound therapeutically, you can access areas of the mind that are not even available to your conscious mind. 
And of course, like the media industry does this all the time. It's why there's certain musics that are associated with certain ads that make us want to purchase, you know, those items. Mm -hmm. There's certain music that makes you eat more at restaurants. Um, If you took sound out of a movie, you would have almost no emotional response, right? To the movie, or there would be a dulled emotional response to the movie. Even silent movies still had sound music associated with them. So it's not that this technology is unknown. It's being used at us all the time. Um, But we're mostly the passive recipients of sounds. We're not really the active creators of sound in our life, you know, not on a conscious and intentional way so that we we make sound do for us what we want it to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. And so, you know, your point is that this is technology that has been used for thousands of years. So before we go to, you know, the, the thousand year old technology, let's, let's fast forward to Western medicine and how, how we see it, you know, used in Western medicine. Cause you're saying, you know, we use this in all kinds of things, whether it's from advertisements to restaurants, to basically things that persuade us to do certain things, right? That's how music and sound is being used. So how, how is it used therapeutically in a Western medical setting or from a Western perspective? You know, I was almost stunned at my ignorance, but I was looking at this because there's all of these sound therapies that you and I know. And then we're like, oh, wait a minute. Those are sound waves. Like, duh. Yeah. Yeah. Of course we're using this, you know, ultrasound, which is used very frequently diagnostically or therapeutically lithotripsy, which is used to break up kidney stones or gallstones. Those are all sound waves, you know, and now there's even newer technologies where they're treating conditions like uterine fibroids um, in an MRI, using an MRI scan where they're focusing sound waves to dissolve the tumors. And even within the cosmetic industry, and I haven't done this yet, but I want to try this so badly because I'm like, you know, I'm fascinated with every use of sound now. But there's cosmetic procedures, they're non-surgical, and they just apply sound waves and it increases collagen formation just simply by using sound as a beauty tool. Now, sound is also used. Now, those are all examples of inaudible sound. And we tend to be heavy on the inaudible sound side in medicine, although there's still so much more we could be Mm -hmm. doing with sound. Mm -hmm. Um, But even on the audible side, music therapy is being used to help stroke patients. There's a specific type of neurogenic um, music therapy, and it helps the brain to rewire following a stroke. But it's been used, music therapy has been used for conditions like dementia, for traumatic brain injury. And the findings are so remarkable. They're so positive. And it just stuns me that they're not getting more recognition because they're good studies. There's zero side effects to this. And we're actually reversing conditions that traditionally in medicine, we have considered to be neurodegenerative conditions that have no treatment. So we're starting to see these little peaks of how sound could be used, but it's just in such an infant state. And, you know, the reason is because the science hasn't caught up. When our science starts to embrace 
the biofield, you know, the newest theory in science that we're not just the physical body and we're not even just our thoughts, but that we have fields of energy, which of course is the same thing that, you know, the Siddha medicine and, and Ayurveda, they have been talking about the koshas, which are just fields of energy, but that when we embrace the science of the biofield, right, that we're waves of energy, different layers of energy that influence our cellular structure, then you can start to develop the technologies. Without the science, you don't go really far in the technology because you don't know why something works. And if we don't understand why something works, it's hard to hypothesize other ways of how to use it. Right. So we're just on that, we're on that brink. I'm hoping we we make that leap during my life lifespan. You know, but even if we don't, I'm glad that at least I was able to write this book that, you know, may play a a small ripple effect down the line, you know, towards people starting to think about it that way. Yeah. And, you know, I think you bring up such a good point because, you know, these sound therapies inaudible, like you said, you know, so many of us have experienced them, not just as practitioners and physicians, but, you know, patients going in for an ultrasound, right? Treatment or diagnostically, and not even realizing that that is sound. The word sound yes. is even in the word. It's, it's even in the term. And we still didn't catch up. And we still didn't. I mean, you know, and so like that is sound therapy and it's not just the audible music sound, because I think that that is actually what most people probably when they started this episode, when we were, you know, saying we're, we're going to talk about sound medicine are going straight to music and the things that we hear and, or mantra or which are all very important. But I think it's so important to point out that we have been using this in Western medicine. So this is not some like woo woo out there sort of concept. Western medicine uses this. Uses it, but doesn't know why it works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's, I think that's your whole point. And so now let's turn to Ayurveda and Siddha medicine and how it has been used therapeutically for so long. Maybe we can just start diving in there um, and, and what that means. Well, it almost is, it's almost difficult to comprehend how much a part of sound was like a daily existence, you know, and it's hard to comprehend because just as you said, like, even though we're using in medicine, I was never taught about the science of sound or the medical, you know, technology of sound. And so it's still not in our awareness collectively, you know, this science that is behind it. So it's a little bit like talking to somebody, let's say a few hundred years ago about electricity. Mm -hmm. and, and you're trying to explain to them how these wires are going to carry this impulse and it's going to bring the sun into the room, right? Like right. just trying to explain a light bulb to somebody who doesn't understand the science and technology, it feels like, like you're talking, you know, about wizardry, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it feels so fantastical. And that's what it felt a little bit in reading the ancient uses of sound, because we don't understand the science and we don't have the technology. So it, it's, it's hard to comprehend like, boy, how are they able to do all of this with sound? But they used sound for everything, um, you know, not just for healing, but they used sound like in agriculture. They used sound to impact the weather. They even used sound during battles. I mean, it was everything in, that you could imagine in life, you know, was in, there was a sound technology for it. 
If you could use the metaphor of electricity and say, well, what were all the different ways that they used, you know, electricity in the year 2022? I mean, the list would just go on and on mm-hmm. and on. Like, well, they used it for everything. It's such a integral part of our life that we can't even separate it out. And so sound was the same way, but even in the preparation of herbs, when the seeds were planted in the ground, they were planted using sound. When they were tended to, those so the same sounds were used as the plants were growing. When the herbs were picked and they were being processed, the same mantras, the same sounds were used. And then when the patient took the herb, the same sounds were chanted or recited by the patient. That's how important sound was. And I'm actually in the process right now of creating an Ayurvedic line where one of the ingredients is sound. Because I said, this is how we used to do it. We have to reincorporate this. Sound was one of the most important ingredients. So let me back up and ask you a question about that. So how does that sound in the planting, in the growing, in the harvesting, then in the patient, how is that affecting the actual herb or medication? So the way that you could look at it is the mantra is influencing the very structure of the herb. So, you know, there's already studies being done that show that sound can influence human DNA. Mm -hmm. And, And there's specific mantras. One of the mantras I mentioned in sound medicine is a specific mantra for strengthening and reversing like mutations in human DNA. So this, this was a known science and there's more and more studies coming out now about how sound influences DNA. So those sounds were making the herbs more potent for healing and the sounds that were chosen for a particular herb were sounds that were known to um, amplify the benefits of that particular herb. And so this is what I mean, the interface kind of of quantum biology to like herbology is they knew how to activate certain aspects, certain genes, certain aspects of the plant, because as we know, like we have a lot of genetic material that is completely silent. You know, we have genes that can even code for vitamin C, but they're not turned on. Why aren't they turned on? So sound is one of those epigenetic, you know, Mm -hmm. factors that can turn certain genes on and off. And so they had that understanding. And so they used sound to amplify the effect of certain herbs for a specific outcome. Okay. That's incredible. The way you explained that, because, you know, I, Obviously, I, I don't know how to make these different preparations, but I've studied Ayurveda and there's always the, you know, the mantras that are chanted when you're harvesting certain herbs and it's at, you know, whether it's the full moon or a new moon or whatever, you know, all of those things have an effect on the herb, how it's harvested. And so that's one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of how the sound specifically influences that herb when it's harvested. And, you know, we prepared some of these herbs when I was in India using the mantras and not just using the mantras, we even using the yantras Mm -hmm. and the herbs were just so much more potent. I mean, something that you would normally take for, let's say six months to get a particular effect, like where you would say it would take a total of six months to completely, you know, find the fulfillment of, of the treatment. 
protocol. Um, I mean, it was within days you were seeing these massive, massive, you know, shifts. And it was just, it was like, wow, this is what they understood. This is what, you know, this is how they approached disease, which is why they, their description of, of cures for conditions that we think are like, yeah, that would be impossible. Well, of course it would be impossible if you don't have that advanced technology, just like working after the sunset would be impossible if we didn't have electricity. Yes. That's a beautiful analogy. And so you mentioned something. I want to make sure the listeners understand the difference. Mantras and yantras. Can you explain oh, yes. the difference? <laughs> of <Yeah>. course. <laughs> so this was another area that I was just so surprised at how much science there was. But yantras are designs, they're geometric designs that are implemented or um, crafted onto a piece of metal. Usually it is copper, but it can also be done on silver and gold. And the, the, you can look at the yantra as like the machine, like it's, it's essentially created to generate energy, but the power that turns that machine on is the mantra. And so in ancient times, they would chant certain mantras up to a particular amount of times. And it really depended on the consciousness of the person chanting it. When the consciousness was very high, they could activate a mantra very quickly Nowadays, you usually have to chant it like a million times just because overall human consciousness has become so weak. Mm -hmm. So our own capacity to hold energy has decreased so much that we don't have the same capacity to energize then Mm -hmm. a machine like a yantra. Mm -hmm. And so what they would do is they would chant a specific mantra for a specific yantra. And then at a certain point, you know, if you look at the yantra, they kind of look like modern day circuit boards. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the energy would start running down the lines of the yantra, and the yantra would now be self-generate. It would be able to self-generate that energy source associated with the vibration of that mantra. Once that yantra was activated, then the herbs would be placed on the yantra. When you are also then chanting the mantra, and this is just like another level of increasing the potency of these of these herbs. And I remember the first time in this, you know, happened in India, because this would be very hard to duplicate here. The first time I had an herb that was prepared like that, you know, and I mean, I just, I didn't even feel like I was taking something like from this world, like just the energy of it was so strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, just so absolutely strong and so clarifying, like my, my thoughts were, they, they shifted. And and the shift wasn't temporary. It was like, I was a different person before taking the herb and I was a different person after it just shifted the way that my brain was wired. And Mm. I was like, wow. (laughs) And so, so here's what I want to ask you. Like, how did you make this connection? So you're reading these ancient texts and reading about these mantras, right. And these yantras and, and how these herbs are prepared, right. Was there something that you had been reading? Cause you're a neuroscientist also. Was there something that you were reading that activated your brain to be like, oh, wait a second. I see the connection (laughs) because I know that there have been studies that have been done. I don't know them specifically off the top of my head, but I imagine you probably know a lot more. What is, because, you know, the other thing is, is that again, I know that it's easier for me and you to go here and say, oh yeah, that makes sense because we've studied this. We also both grew up with this tradition, right? So we, we understand it in a different way also, but for a lot of people who are listening, they're probably like, 
okay, I can maybe get there from the description and from the explanation that you're giving, but is there some science behind this? Is there any data that's pointing towards this? Because as you said, there's a lot of science that needs to catch up to explain this technology and we're just on the brink, but what is some of that data that maybe helped you make the connection that can maybe help some of the listeners make this connection too? Well, you know, what was interesting is growing up with some of these things, and I actually didn't grow up with like a knowledge of yantras and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, Like so many Indian families that came over here, they were all about like the American science, American, you know, technologies, other than the Ayurvedic practices. For some reason, that was something that my mom really um, dived deeply into. But it wasn't until I became a neurologist that this started to make sense to me, because of course, the nervous system is wired similarly. You know, when you start to understand the deeper aspects of neurophysiology, um, this world starts to make more sense because nerves are so different from any other organ system because they carry information and they carry information in wide distribution, meaning you can't have a thought and have only a few cells in your body or a few tissues know what's going on. You need every single organ system, every single tissue in the body to be coordinating that response. So I had to go through that process of understanding how such a highly efficient system could exist even within us. Mm -hmm. So I had to make that jump actually as part of my medical training. So when I got into this other type of circuitry and realized it's actually the same structure, it's just instead of the impulse being a nerve impulse, you have it coming through the form of sound. It was, it was an easy leap, you know, for me to make. Mm -hmm. And when I first started training in Ayurveda, I had heard about a almost like mystical, right. Technique for rejuvenation. And so that had sparked my initial interest in like the Siddha medicine and the Siddha tradition, because I was like, they understand something. They understand a science that is, that goes even beyond kind of what we're being taught in Ayurveda. And so for decades and decades and decades, I was fascinated and kind of searching, but I can't take credit for all of these light bulb moments because when I was in India, I was also spoon fed a lot of this information. And then it was not difficult as a neurologist to see the kind of analogies in the human nervous system. And so being spoon fed so much of this ancient information, not having to figure it out on my own, but literally just saying, this is how all of this work. Now you figure out kind of the science, the science part of it was really simple and easy for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Got it. So it was a combination of the elders of people teaching you this knowledge and then taking what you'd learned as a neurologist and your medical training and, and sort of putting those two together. Have there been some studies that have been done that show that sound waves can affect our DNA or affect healing or the physiology? Yes, absolutely. And I mentioned some of the studies in the book, but there's more and more studies looking at the way that our body communicates. And, you know, you and I learned kind of that lock and key method, which is so ridiculous. It's, I mean, that never made sense to me. I was like, how could so much information just be this bumping together randomly of (laughs) compounds that fit into each other? But now, you know, there's more and more studies looking at 
even the fundamental skeleton of the whole body on a cellular basis, the microtubules, that they're communicating through field effects so that they're actually emitting electromagnetic fields. Um, and it's not this lock and key, like the, the lock and key method where one molecule fits into another and unlocks, right? Mm -hmm. A chemical reaction that might be the end result of this field effect. But what we're starting to realize is that, and again, when we look at these fields of energy, they're just sound waves. These are just different frequencies mm -hmm. that are going through, through the body. And so we'll call one an electromagnetic field or another one, another type of field, because they have a field effect, meaning their effect isn't just local. And so as we're measuring more and more of that, we're realizing that sound is actually the fundamental language of the human body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's really how it's affecting these changes at this very subtle level, yes. which then actually um, is a cascade to the more gross levels, right? We have on every single one of our cells, something called a primary cilia, and its job is to pick up sound waves. And as it picks up sound waves, whether they're vibrational, they're induced by vibration or you know other modalities, it starts to change the way that the proteins within the cells are created. And so we're, we're wired for sound. And that's what I meant by saying when I was initially reading these ancient texts, they seem so poetic, right? Because if you right. think about it for a moment, that all of your cells are communicating through a field effect. I mean, it sounds like Jedi medicine, right? Because you're talking about the force, like Luke, you know, right. you know, tap into the force to be able to move this and do that. But that's exactly the way that these ancient texts described it. Their, their descriptions were just so beautiful that you mistake it for poetry. But it's because when you get to the quantum level, it becomes really poetic. It becomes really just, it's, it's so awe-inspiring because you're almost seeing like the way that the cosmos right? And these huge planets in the skies are moving with such beauty that the same kind of majestic orchestration is happening on a subcellular level. Mm -hmm. And so then the question becomes, how do we use this? How does somebody who's listening actually take all this information and make it usable for them in their everyday? Let's get practical. You know, mantras, how do we use them? How do we figure out what we need. I mean, part of it is collectively, it's just simply going to take time and evolution, right? This is how you'll be able to go more and more to your physician's office to have access to these therapies, but you don't have to wait for that. Mm -hmm. First of all, we're already using this. It's just, we're using this unconsciously and without purpose. So whenever people say, well, what's the first thing I can do about, you know, embracing sound medicine, I would say, well, look at the way that you speak. You know, because mm -hmm. that is sound that you create every day. And that's some of the most important sound that we create is through our speech. So how are you speaking to other people? And when you really begin to look at the way that you're speaking to other people, that will reflect the way in which you speak to yourself. Mm. Um, you know, if you speak with an angry, impatient tone, you're speaking to yourself also with an angry, impatient tone. Another thing is just look at how is music being used in your life? Like, are you listening to music that would create a lot of anger or fear, you know, because that those are the lyrics, that's the kind of music that they're generating. 
Or are you using music that creates kind of a peaceful environment? And if you're not using music, why aren't you using music? I listen to music almost all day long when I'm working, when I'm driving, because I know that that is influencing my brain. So I'm getting smarter. I'm getting, you know, greater neuroplasticity doing nothing really. I mean, just passively listening to the music, like when I'm cooking and then in choosing that type of music, you know, I tend to listen to different types of mantras because from a scientific standpoint, they just seem to be the most powerful, but like listening to other traditions like Gregorian chants and so forth. And then finally, the most powerful thing you could do is start a therapeutic sound practice. And because much of what I studied was around the science of mantras, that's typically what I teach. But the chakra mantra, which I teach in the book is, I mean, that's like just a shower for all of your energy bodies. Like we, you know, we, we won't leave the house without taking a physical shower. Why would you leave the house without taking a shower for all your energy bodies that also tend to get debris on them? Mm -hmm. So that's usually my go-to prescriptive mantra is just a chakra mantra. And I'm, I'm happy to share, you know, how to do it. That would be great. Would you mind sharing that? No, not at all. Okay. So it's a very simple mantra. And it connects all of the bija mantras with the each of the chakras with both the male and female energies that exists within all of us. So it's a very, very balancing mantra. Okay. Now, because it's so balancing, it's very powerful. And I was surprised because I learned this after decades and decades of meditating. And I was still shocked at like how much of a reset, mm-hmm. you know, it created. So the instructions for this is do it for five minutes a day. Okay. And then when you feel after a few days, you feel comfortable, increase it to 10, wait again till you feel comfortable, increase it to 15, then eventually to 20. Don't do more than 20. Just like you don't have to be in the shower for two hours to get clean. Yeah. You don't need more than 20 minutes for this to work. Okay. Can I, can I stop you for one second? Can you explain what a beach mantra is and what a beach sound is before we go into this? Absolutely. So a bija mantra is a sound that has no meaning. And it's a primordial sound. I mean, it's a seed sound. So it's kind of like um, if in nature's orchestra, if you had just the absolute single note of music, that's what a bija mantra is. But from that bija mantra, you can build like anything you want out of that. So even if you look at an analogy of a tree, it's the seed of the tree, meaning it contains the full potential of the entire tree. Right. Okay. So it's a very powerful use of sound. Thank you. Um, and thank you for reminding me. I know sometimes, you know, I'm so familiar I, I with know. these terms. We, like, we say these mantras. terms and it's like, wait, what do you mean? What, it, what, wait, what is a beach mantra? Right. And yeah. I know what that means, but I want to make sure <laughs> the listeners are like, what? Beach, what? No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And because the sounds I'm about to teach you, because they're so primordial, which means they're, they're just so fundamental. They release a lot of energy. So when you first start to do this, many people will go, Oh, that meditation didn't work for me. I had a lot of anxiety come out or I had a lot of anger. And I'm like, Nope, that meditation worked perfectly. Mm -hmm. So you can have kind of emotional detoxification, physical detoxification. And that's why you just go slowly. Okay. So when you do this, you can start first by doing it out loud and eventually you want to do it silently. And if you want, you can even start to visualize each of the associated chakras. And I can send you a copy of the sounds, Mm -hmm. um, the words of the sounds and the chakras associated so that people can look at it. That's amazing. Yes. We'll link that in the show notes. 
So thank you. And you don't have to start from the very beginning though, where you have to focus on the chakras first, just learn to just repeat this mantra a few times, and then I'll give you all the notes on how to practice it. Hariyom nam lam mam vam simram vam yam yam ham shivam swaha hariyom nam lam mam vam simram Vam yam yam ham shivam swaha hariyom nam lam mam vam simram vam yam yam ham shivam swaha So normally when you do it for longer periods, you would come out of it, you know, much, much more slowly than what I'm doing today, Mm -hmm. because you do go very, very deeply in with this mantra. And you'll notice that it's fairly short. It's meant to activate the center and then move the energy. Right. So other mantras are done a little bit more slowly, but this one really is for kind of going in, shaking it up and then moving the energy, Mm -hmm. you know, upward. So this right. would be what I would consider one of the most powerful daily sound practices to do simply because you're, you're addressing every major energy center mm-hmm. in the body. Yeah. And so you're moving from the, the root chakra up mm-hmm. is yes. what, what you were doing. So just so people can visualize that. So what you're saying is as you're saying the mantra, each portion, you can actually visualize the associated chakra, which will be in those notes. And so that can also keep you moving because that visualization also will move, help move the energy as well. Absolutely. Your attention, when you, when you add, um, intention and attention to sound, that is how healing becomes very powerful. And the reason I like this mantra is because it's, it's, balancing each of the chakras and each of these sounds, by the way, they're associated with the five elements. So they actually balance all five elements and all three doshas as a result, but it's, it creates a loop. So the idea isn't just to move upward, but then you start again down below. And so it creates this loop. So you don't become, you know, unbalanced by having too much energy, Mm -hmm. you know, up in the upper chakras. I see that with a lot of people who are meditating, but they're very, very ungrounded. And that's why I like this is you're accessing the higher realms, but still firmly grounded right here on earth. Right, right. <laughs> that, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think that, you know, I think that you're also your point about the self-talk, you know, what we, how we speak to others, but then more importantly, how we speak to ourselves yes. in our minds is so important because, you know, so many people will say, oh, well, that positive self-talk stuff, that affirmation stuff, it doesn't work. Right. And I feel like you have really helped to shift maybe even how I think about affirmations um, because I've always been focused on mantras. Is there a difference? There is a difference. I was just about to say that affirmations are much, much more difficult for reprobing, reprogramming the mind. It's not that they don't work. They're just much more difficult because 
An affirmation is a program that you're inserting into a mind that already has so many other programs in it. Mm -hmm. So affirmations do, it's not that they don't work. It's just, it takes quite a bit of dedication. And I would, I would consider it as, you know, certainly it's a type of mental technology. I would not call it a, a highly advanced mental technology. Okay. Um, the reason why I prefer the use of mantras is mantras actually transcend the mind. And so just like we were saying before, if you shift a frequency from a source, from where the mind is projected from, you automatically rewire the mind in a way that like thousands of affirmations would. So let's say an affirmation is changing one particular belief, right? Mm -hmm. But when you are doing the mantra, because the mantra is rewiring your brain on right. multiple different levels in multiple different areas. So you're actually shifting like some limiting belief, you know, in thousands of different parts of the brain. And so I'm not against affirmations. Right. Um, I think being very thoughtful of the way you use your speech and your, and your thoughts in general is important, but it's a lot of work to try to go through thought by thought, especially since 95% of our thoughts are unconscious. So you wouldn't even be aware really of the thoughts you're trying to change right? Because you don't even know you have them. That's the whole right. like challenge of the unconscious mind is you're unconscious of what it's mm -hmm. thinking. And so the mantras, and this is why when people start to do the chakra mantra, they'll go, oh my gosh, I feel all this anxiety. I'm like, yes, you, you do have anxiety. You're, it's sitting in your unconscious mind. So the mm -hmm. mantra just begins to purge all right. of that. So you don't have to file and sort it. You just start throwing it away. <laughs> right. And then what probably also, I mean, I imagine that what happens then is that as you practice this more and you start to clean that energy and, and sort of get rid of that junk, right? Yeah. How you then actually speak. It spontaneously changes. It changes yes. because yes. it's an after effect. Is it's what an I'm after saying. effect. It's yes. like a downstream effect. And so yes. what you're saying you is that it you know, affirmations, positive self-talk, it all works. But if you start at this level, this is the most subtle level, this will actually then affect everything downstream. Absolutely. And this is why we do like the hard work around this, you know, what I'm giving you are very, very simple steps, but mm -hmm. you know, there are some, um, sound therapies, they're, they're very, very intense. And usually you, you go through that with like a teacher, right? Um, and who's associated with a particular lineage. Right. And so there's a few of these that I do with the lineage that I'm associated with. And they're so intense. I mean, they're just so unbelievably intense. Like my body will be breaking out in rashes. My joints will hurt. It's like doing one of the most intense physical detoxes and the amount of negativity that comes out. And I've just got to sit there and go, you know what? Just like, don't worry. Just let all of this go. Don't hold on to anything and just know this will end because when I'm done doing the program and maybe it'll be for like nine days or, you know, however many days that they decide for the program at the end of it, I'm spontaneously thinking more clearly. <laughs> There's were negative influence that I wasn't even aware of. You're only aware of influences when they're gone, honestly. Yeah. Yes. that they're just suddenly gone and my body is working better. And like, th there'll be things in my relationships that suddenly spontaneously clear up. 
And this is the reason why we do it. Now, those are kind of more intensive practices, but just doing the chakra mantra every day, it's just, it's slowly, but very powerfully moving you into that direction Mm -hmm. of spontaneously living the life that you wanted to live. The reason you came here. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm blown away by this conversation. And, you know, I know we're, we're at the end of our time. So I just have one last question for you you know, because it feels like this is a good place to end and with such a powerful reason to start using mantra and using this practice that you've just so generously given to all of the listeners and to me, um, is that, you know, if I offer up the, the phrase to catalyze healing, which is the Mm. name of this podcast, love it. Yeah. What comes up for you? That it depends on the strength of the catalyst. The the transformation always depends on the strength of the catalyst, right? And when you are using sound, you're using, in my opinion, and from the research I've done, the strongest catalyst that nature created. There may be stronger catalysts out there, but I don't know that we're necessarily all ready for them, meaning that those types of catalysts probably require a lot of preparation before you are given those, mm-hmm. you know, and oftentimes those might be given like through a spiritual tradition, but just for the everyday person like you and me, and for people who have kids and do their taxes and, you know, go to work. I mean, what a gift to be given like these samplings of the strongest catalyst that nature has to offer. Mm. Thank you. That's beautiful. Kulri, thank you so much for being with me. I I have learned so much and I know everyone listening has too. It was a pleasure. And thank you for your thoughtful questions. It's not every day that I get to be interviewed by somebody who's as well educated who are, you know, in this tradition. So it was really a joy for me to go deeper into these topics. Uh, Well, thank you. I, I loved talking to you and we'll do it again. I think there's a lot more to learn hear and explore. And as you're doing, you know, so much research um, and work in India and learning more, I think you're just going to have more and more to share with people. So I would love to have you back again. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.